Welcome to the Motivated Life Podcast. I'm Ravi Raman. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Matt Frazier. Matt has built a large and thriving community of people who care about health and wellness. In fact, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people read his emails every month. What's most intriguing about Matt is how his business got started, and that's really the focal point of our podcast today. I'm curious about how someone like Matt could leave a PhD program in applied mathematics to follow a voice inside that was calling him to go in a totally different direction, to become a writer, to become a blogger, and to become a community builder. I find his story fascinating, and I also will share that Matt and I have been working together for the past year uh, as he is a coaching client of mine. And really, our work has centered around helping Matt be his best self so he can give more to his community and help to grow his business. There are a lot of nuggets and bits of wisdom in this episode. You'll hear about what Matt learned by spending a full week in Seth Godin's office. You'll learn about his decision point and what it was like for him to step away from a promising career uh, in the middle of his doctoral program in applied mathematics. You'll learn about what he's learned in building a successful and thriving online business throughout the past seven, eight years. And we go into a lot more detail. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please do uh, give me a quick review on iTunes. It would mean a lot to me and get the word out by sharing the episode with your friends. As always, you'll find further details about everything we discuss on my website, at raviramancom forward slash podcast, where you can find show notes with links to all the things we talk about. One other piece of housekeeping. I'm opening up enrollment for coaching for 2018. So if you're interested in working with me one-on-one to create something great in your career, in your business, in your life, just go ahead, visit my website. At the bottom, you can click on the link that says coaching, or at the top, there's a button that says work with me, has all the details of who I work with, what I do, and and how it all works. Now, last year, this well, this just past year, I ended up uh, closing enrollment partway through the year because I can really only work with a set number of people and in order to give them my full time and energy. So I expect enrollment to be open uh, throughout the month of January 2018. Uh, at which point I do think I'll I'll be full and will no longer to be able to take additional coaching clients until sometime in the summer or fall of next year. I currently have five spots available, uh, so if you're interested, visit my website. There's an application and all the details. And if you're interested, apply, and I'll be in touch with you to hop on a quick phone call and see if we're a good fit to work together. Okay, well, that's all I've got in terms of housekeeping. With that, I bring you Matt Frazier. Matt, how you doing? I am doing well, Ravi. Excited to be on here with you. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, we're, uh, I'm finally out of my Thanksgiving coma. How about you? Food coma. <laughs> you know what? Mine didn't last too long because we, we do the vegan thing, and uh, 
it, it's not like it used to be. It lasts for it lasts for three or four hours, and then each time I eat the leftovers, I get another maybe hour <laughs> revisit to the uh, to the coma. But, but uh, yeah, it didn't last too long this year. Well, you know, we did the plant we did a plant based Thanksgiving as well, but uh, ours must not have been as healthy as yours. I mean, what does a plant based <laughs> Thanksgiving look like for you? It basically is a bunch of side dishes because. I always think the side dishes are the kind of interesting part. Like, I mean, it's not like I didn't like the turkey back back when, uh, but it was sort of the same. If you you know what to expect with that, the side dishes, you know, there's lots of room to do all different things. So we did a lot of the typical type things, you know, like uh, Brussels sprouts, sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, a mushroom gravy. Uh, I actually made a, a seitan loaf thing this year instead of buying one, which is sort of the turkey stand-in, and uh, and that worked well enough. But I don't think that was the the most interesting part. We did a, a soup and the kind of eggplant dip, all kinds of different things. Mm, mm. How about for dessert? For dessert, my wife made a pumpkin pie mm-hmm. and a cheesecake. <laughs> nice. We made a vegan pumpkin pie. We forgot to add sugar to it. Oh, uh, man. So, so <laughs> didn't quite work as it intended, but with a, I forget what kind of plant-based uh, whip we use, but you, if you add enough of that and stir it in, it actually uh, it tastes pretty good. So, did you have guests at the table who were like, "It was mm, yeah, Robbie, this vegan pumpkin pie is really." Our good. dog did not mind. Duke loved it. <laughs> okay. In fact, and pumpkin's good for dogs, so he loved it. We we just did it for ourselves, so we made uh-huh. enough for we had four meals out of <laughs> our Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's the best part. Well, you know, you know, I'm just happy to have you on because I I've been you know, benefiting from your work for a long time. So I've been a vegetarian most of my whole life and uh, mostly plant-based now. I'm not 100% plant-based, but mostly I was a strict vegan for about a decade. And occasionally I, I slip from that, but I do try to try to keep to it. I feel best and uh, I care about the animals. That's why I do it. But I stumbled upon your work because, gosh, I, I think I typed in vegan running and yours was the top hit. This is a long while ago, probably seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And I actually came across some of your training plans and uh, saw that you were running as well and have been reading your, your blog and site ever since. So, I mean, I'll let you describe it. How would you describe your business and your community and what you do? Uh, wow, that's an easy first question. Um, I mean... It's, it is unique, you know, in being what it is. It's a plant-based fitness community. Um, but I think the way I would, disc- like when I kind of step back and look mm-hmm. at it, it's a group of really passionate people who are interested in, in a single topic. And uh, it's a topic that tends to be one that is kind of polarizing. The people who are in are in. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that makes them really passionate and excited and interested and engaged. Uh, and so that's, that's what we do. We, we talk about how to... Um, be an active, fit person on a plant-based diet, uh, whether that means moving from a, an omnivorous diet towards one that is more plant-based, uh, or whether that means if you're already plant-based or close to it and you want to become a fit person. So we, I try to talk to both of those people. Uh, it is it is probably the the former, maybe, who are, who are the more interested, uh, who are kind of the sweet spot in our audience, I think. Um, but it's really important to me, and it has been since the beginning, that it not come off as like preachy or hard sell. Or Vegans militant. can never be preachy. What do you mean, man? <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. We're the, we're the most laid back group in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, I just like this was this is not something I was raised doing. I didn't even start thinking about this until after college and uh just didn't do it for fitness reasons. Just kind of came around ethically and said I just I had actually right after I got my first dog as an adult is when I started to have this weird feeling like I I don't know, I just didn't want to eat pigs anymore because I'd heard that pigs were as smart as dogs and it it just seemed strange to me that I would eat pigs but love a dog and they're so similar. So, I I just started not wanting to do that anymore. But but one of the things that actually kept me from doing it right away was was the pamphlets and the stuff that the activism that I saw happening because I was in grad school at the time, mm. and I like I didn't want to become that. I I just I was so opposed to like salesy things and like trying to pressure people into stuff. And I kind of associated that with with veganism. I thought you kind of had to become a militant person who was always trying to change people. And so when I did it, uh, I don't want to say that it was like that I was reluctant or hesitant. I, I was happy to make the change and really excited about it. But I was afraid of becoming someone like that. So I, I've always been just so kind of allergic and sensitive to that, that I've really, really tried to make sure that that never shows up in, in our messaging. And, and honestly, it doesn't take that much effort because mm-hmm. just kind of at my core, I'm so, uh, that messaging just doesn't resonate with me. So mm-hmm. we, we get a lot of positive feedback from people who maybe are, are only just thinking about eating plant-based and mm-hmm. maybe the only advice they take is they, they, do a you know typical omnivorous diet, but they start working in a, a smoothie that I talk about for breakfast. And we get lots of comments from those people who say they love the welcoming attitude and, and that it is that that kind of keeps them in it. And my hope, because I do hope that people will, will make changes to their diet, uh, my hope is that that low-pressure approach keeps them around long enough and just sort of immersed mm-hmm. uh, or at least at least in sight of the stuff we're doing so that so that a year from now or two years from now someone says hey i'm gonna go a little bit further with it now because uh, that's how it was for me it took a very long time for me to to make that transition and, and i think it's a good good for it too and you've been you've been so no meat athlete has been around since when no meat athlete started in 2009 which uh is is almost nine years ago actually um and that you know, it started out as a little WordPress blog. I think within a few weeks, I moved it over to like a WordPress.com blog, where it had WordPress.com in the domain name. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a few weeks, I moved it over to a self-hosted site. And then it, it didn't really become a real business, and especially not a full-time one, until maybe two years after it had mm-hmm. had begun. But and so you mentioned you were in grad school, but you were in a PhD program for applied math. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so yes. you, it's not like you were just aimlessly wandering and just stumbled in oh i guess you had your wordpress blog but you were on a what seems to me to be a really different track i can't think of two different things you know writing about health and nutrition versus applied math doctoral program i mean tell me a little bit about that transition because at some point i'm curious for you at at what point did you decide okay this is going to be the thing i'm going to do now because that seems like quite a big switch (laughs) yeah well it absolutely was uh i mean there were several points where what you're describing kind of happened so it it happened over the course of a few years but i when i was in grad school like although i wasn't aimlessly wandering around (laughs) uh i can't say i was i was very secure in you know my plans for the future i i had graduated college with a degree in finance an undergrad degree in finance and then 
didn't know what to do. I tried a bunch of things. First, I was going to start a record label because I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, and I had a minor in music industry, so I said, I'll, I'll start a record label, and that didn't really pan out. So What, I, was, the na- what was your name going to be? The name, actually, we were going to be uh, a media company, uh, and it was uh, Former Child Star Media. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it was a good name. Yeah. Uh, we actually had a picture, like a like a silhouette of Fred Savage that we took off the internet. And it was like, Wonder you couldn't years. really tell it was him, but you could kind of guess that it was. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, that didn't pan out. I was working for a music promotion company, and that, that went under. Not It wasn't my company, but as the whole music industry got turned on its head, that, that was one casualty. Uh, so I got a job doing the finance thing and realized from there that I was really, really interested in the math that kind of underpinned the whole financial world. So... I had to kind of go back to undergrad as I was working and take two years of undergrad math just to get into an applied math graduate program. And I did that, but the whole time I, I thought maybe I'd get a Wall Street job or something, but I just didn't really know. Really what I wanted to do was start my own business. I knew that, and I just, you know, I don't know that this was the best way to go about it. It, it In hindsight, was kind of a form of procrastination. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I kept saying, if I just get this degree, first it was just get this master's degree, and then it was just get this PhD, then then I will be like able to go start my business. I'll, be, I'll get an idea for a business, and I'll have the credibility behind it so that no one can, can tell me no or reject me or, you know. And so I, part of that, I, I, knowing what I know now, I just, I should have started, I should have found, come up with an idea, brainstorm, found the best thing I could, and just started with the smallest possible first step, rather than saying, I need this degree before I can begin. Um, were you around entrepreneur? What planted the seed that you wanted to start your business besides, you know, being your own boss? Do you have entrepreneurs in your family? Were your, you know, I'm guessing other p- doctoral candidates were not thinking this way. No, certainly not. Yeah. They they were going to work for pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. or go get jobs at, at colleges teaching. Yeah. Uh, and I, I knew for sure I didn't want to do that. You know, I did, actually didn't have many entrepreneurial influences at all. Uh, my mom was a real estate agent, and she had kind of always, uh, you know, in the car, I would always be listening to Earl Nightingale or uh, Tony Robbins and all just these personal development, Zig Ziglar, like just all this stuff that kind of, I don't know, just went into my head, not without, not by me trying, it was just there. Um, but my dad, you know, he did a typical nine, nine to five government job, and uh, that was actually a really big influence because he he hated his job and I saw that and I saw that every Sunday he got like depressed that he had to go into work tomorrow and uh, of course I'm so grateful and I was then that he was going and doing this for us but and you know earning money to support the family like that's a, a noble thing to do but I remember when I was a kid just thinking like it's going to be terrible to be a grown up. Like I like what happens when there's no <laughs> summer vacation like what are you what are you living for if you're just going to work and you get one or two weeks off a year like it just it just struck me as crazy that people would do that without uh without some sort of goal that you're going towards other than retirement uh so that was that was a really really strong motivator for me and i just always had the idea that and falsely i mean i had the idea that working for someone else it means misery and is is necessarily terrible uh and that's not right but it, but it definitely is what pushed me into mm-hmm. saying I have to do my own thing. I have to find a way to be my own boss so that I don't get sucked into that that nine to five thing. Now I know that there are a lot of really cool nine to five jobs, and not just nine to five, but lots of cool jobs mm-hmm. working for other people. Right. Uh, but you know what I knew of it was just the opposite. I thought it was just had to be this kind of drudgery thing that you hated. Mm-hmm. So it was that it was that opposite force that 
made me say I have to find something to do for myself. Uh, so that was the driving thing. And then uh, when when Nomi came along, when I decided to so go you tried the record label go thing ahead. that wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna fly. And then at at this point, you went plant based. Well, as I was in grad school mm-hmm. and I was just on that path, kind of waiting for the inspiration to strike as to what sort of business I would eventually mm-hmm. start after school, uh, and also working on my PhD and trying to get out of school. Um, that's when I went first vegetarian, not vegan. I was training to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and I didn't really know how it would impact that, but decided it was right for me to do this, and that's when I started the blog, mostly as just a fun sort of experiment, and because I looked around and I couldn't Mm -hmm. find information on the internet about athletes making this work, and I didn't know if it would work. Uh, This was only, you know, not even 10 years ago, but there was way, way less information about plant-based fitness back then. There were a few athletes who were doing it, it just wasn't really yeah. out there in the in the mainstream. Yeah, even plant based, you know, now that's what people say. But back then it was just ve- it was vegan. Even right. vegan was sort of a rare thing, <laughs> right? It was, re- yeah. it was like vegetarian. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. So the thought of doing that for endurance sports, you know, my my thought was you can't get enough protein; it's not going to work. And that's what I was trying to find answers to on the internet, and I couldn't. And I and I said, look, I'm still going to do this because I don't know that I'm going to qualify for Boston anyway at this point. Uh, so I just started it. I, in the back of my mind was the thought that, hey, this, who knows, maybe this will somehow turn into the thing. Like, maybe this is the unique kind of business I've been looking for, mm. even though it didn't resemble a business in any way. Mm-hmm. It was just me publishing free content, and I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, how do you build a business based on a blog? I didn't read blogs. I didn't know anything okay. about that. So I just started it kind of halfway from being bored, halfway from thinking maybe this will turn into something, you know, that that I end up doing. I, I had no idea. Mm. But I just started it, and six months after I, I started the blog and made that transition to vegetarian, uh, I ended up qualifying for the Boston Marathon. I took the last 10 minutes off of my time. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I, I had taken a ton of time off, like 90 minutes or something off my first marathon time. So this was a huge ongoing journey that was also happening at the same time as hmm. grad school. I was just focused on this marathon training thing. And it, it turned out that this – that. And I had plateaued, and that's why I kind of said, okay, I can do this vegetarian mm. thing because I don't know that I'm going to get there anyway. And that's when I had this surprising improvement in my running and, and made it happen. So obviously that helped a ton. So you lost, the, lost those last 10 minutes after going vegetarian? Or 90? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, no, the last 10. I'd already last taken 10. 90 Got off, it. and I was stuck there, and that's this. the diet was kind of the last piece for me. And uh, fortunately, it was all played out on my blog during the first six months of my blog. I mean, that was, you know, maybe not the most helpful content I've ever written, mm. but probably the most entertaining period that my blog existed mm. was when I was on this journey and I was writing all about my runs and how I didn't know how it was going to work. And all these people started following it and it worked. And then when I, when I actually qualified, it's, it's, there was like a shift and people kind of mm. wanted to know, it seemed like people wanted to know how I did it and, and yeah. how I was making this diet work. And that's when I started to realize that, you know, maybe this could become something more than just my my little training journal and what I ate for breakfast diary. So what so, what was the? Well, I'm curious. Was there a tipping point, or was it a slow, steady rise in terms of your blog taking you from hobby to business? What were some of the inflection points, if they were inflection points? Yeah, you know, I this is actually I'm I'm glad you brought up that and that phrase tipping point because. For the first few years, this was not far actually from when Malcolm Gladwell's book was was a bestseller. 
the tipping point. And I had that idea in, in my mind, and it seemed like everyone else on the internet did too. It seemed like everyone who had blogs back then were like waiting for them to tip. Like, just keep putting in the work and wait till your blog tips <laughs> yeah. and hits the critical mass, and then it will all be easy and blow up from there. Mm-hmm. And that never happened. And I know why it never happened because, I mean, as you, as you, get bigger as like my thought was if i just reach enough people uh, what the tipping point idea is if i reach enough people soon enough those people are going to be sharing this message and it'll reach more people and then those people will reach more people and 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 then it will be easy Mm. but what i didn't realize is like is if your content is let's say the quality of your content or your work or whatever you're doing is such that uh, 10 percent of your people drop off each month Mm -hmm. then that means that when you are when you have a thousand followers you're losing 100 people each month, so you better be bringing in 100 people a month. When you get up to 10,000 followers, that that number that's going out, if it's 10%, is is now 1,000 people per month. So it's not like just reaching more people means you're necessarily growing faster. It means now you're losing people faster than ever before, so you had better be upping the game. And surely you're going to get some benefit from sharing and stuff like that. But I think, and this is kind of the mathematical mm-hmm. side of me maybe thinking, yeah. but you kind of reach a steady state where your number of coming in hits the number that's going out. So that whole tipping point thing, I just I think that kind of tricked a lot of people into thinking, if I just keep doing the same stuff I'm doing at the same quality I'm doing mm-hmm. it, then eventually I will hit enough people that this thing tips. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a, a big fallacy and one that keeps people kind of stuck and just doing the same uh. thing that, that doesn't actually work. So what it turns out is that what the the inflection points, the times when it did feel like it, I, I don't know if tipping is the right word, but mm-hmm. when, it, when it said like, hey, I can go do this as a job now, was when I actually did stuff and made different things happen. And so when I, two years after it started is when it went full time. Wait, so let's, on, pause let's pause there. Let's pause there because that's big. I mean, let's paint the picture. So where were you, where were you in grad school at the time? At, so when I was, I think I think I started the blog just after I had my master's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I was I had begun working on just the PhD. after your master's and you're in your PhD. I'm I'm just trying to understand what gives you that. What is that signal that has you go pull the ripcord and say I'm going to do this full time? <laughs> I'm wondering. Like, was it? I'm curious for you. Was it a hard decision? Did it seem like a big decision, or did it just seem? Did it seem fun? I'm curious what was going through your mind. Right. I think it, it was an easier decision for me than anyone else around me. Everyone else around me, including my wife, my parents, thought it was kind of crazy that I would go quit this track that was probably going to, you know, get me a nice Wall Street job. That I would quit that and, you know, and and mentally quit that even mm-hmm. before I actually did. That's and and put all my eggs into this basket of a blog that you know was maybe making ten dollars a day in ad revenue or Amazon affiliate revenue or something. Uh, I just real honestly, as soon as I got a taste of a business that was working, um, me doing my own thing and this potential for me to work for myself and not have to not have to have a boss and not have to go show up somewhere uh, that I when I didn't feel like it. Mm. Uh, I mean, now <laughs> there are lots of times I don't uh, feel like it when I still have to show up, but uh, I think as soon as I got a taste of that, uh, like that was that was what I wanted. So it was it was hard to like I started that in, I would sit in the back of the math classes on the internet, like learning about <laughs> blogging and, and writing blog posts, and and I just checked out 
and still, still in the back of my mind, thought that I could get this thing done yeah. and somehow. But pretty soon, it became clear that if I wanted Domain Athlete to keep, huh. you know, to get where I wanted it to, then I, I was not going to be able to be effective at grad school. Huh. So, uh, it the the revenue, you know, maybe got. Do up you to- remember where you were when you made the decision? And I'm I'm curious about this because in my own life, I've made you know in my transition from my corporate job, I'm just curious what yours was like. Do you remember where you were uh, when you decided I'm going to do this? I do remember where I was. See, the thing is, I I decided it as soon as I started getting traffic to the oh, blog. Okay. It, it just became this thing in my head that was like, "This is what I'm gonna. As long okay. as this keeps working, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it." But it was when I when I kind of I, I wasn't gonna do that if my wife wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. I was I wasn't gonna just like cause all these problems. So I, I do remember the moment when she and I talked, and it was like, "Okay, we're gonna actually do this." Mm-hmm. And, uh, yep, I remember exactly where I was in my kitchen. And I remember, I think I sent an email to my, to my advisor and said, like, I'm going to switch uh-huh. to part-time or something. I forget exactly the details. But, uh, yeah, and that was, a, that was a huge moment, of course. Uh-huh. All right. And what happened next? So when – what actually enabled that to happen, just to go back yeah. and, and this – because it was such a game-changer for me and, and one that I think I see people kind of stuck, it was that – it was when I actually – Put out a product like I, prior to this point, I had been getting ad revenue, which was you know did not pay well at all. Uh, Amazon affiliate revenue, which also doesn't pay particularly well unless you're in the right niche for doing that. Um, but when I kind of got the courage up to say like, I can actually be someone who gives advice now because and that was it was scary up up to this point. All I was doing was saying what I did, writing about my breakfast, writing about my runs just telling the story of my life and when i made the shift and it was it was a hard one to make because it it required me to kind of step into a place of like i'm going to be okay with being an authority i'm going to position myself as someone who knows what he's talking about and you know act like it Mm -hmm. and understand that there are going to be people who disagree and who criticize me but that that was such a huge shift when i said i'm going to write a program that's going to tell people how to run a marathon on a plant-based diet and i'm going to own it and i'm going to because I've done it a lot now, or I've mm-hmm. I've I've done a lot of marathons, knew all about nutrition, and now I had made it work on a on a vegetarian diet at least. And it was once I just put out a product like that was the difference, like putting out a real product that was mine, and it worked. And then I said, okay, that worked really well. I can do a half marathon version of the same thing. And once once those two things were out, then the income from the blog was far exceeding my my graduate school stipend. Mm-hmm. So. At least, like, even so if you my just life so you far created the two project products. You're writing mm-hmm. blogs, and the traffic is just growing. That's yep. that's what's happening. Yeah. And okay, and then you're getting enough traffic, and and it's converting well enough where it's generating income. Yeah, and other things were happening at the same time too. Like, just I was starting mm-hmm. to get a sense that this was for real, and I was kind of starting to maybe build a case for. Uh, my parents and my wife to to kind of believe me because I had had this vision forever that this was real, but I I understood that t- to anyone else it would be ridiculous to imagine quitting grad school for a blog like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had gotten an email from a literary agent who said, you know, I love what you're doing. We would love to do a nomad athlete book, and so what, like once that was happening and I was getting a few little speaking engagements here and there, I think I and other people could start to envision like an actual career mm-hmm. coming out of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that definitely helped in in just making this seem like a reasonable decision. And how long was that journey from when it went full time to where you felt like okay, I'm now earning, I'm paying the bills. <laughs> um, 
I think I mean it was I think it was about three years mm. after it went full time to when my wife was able to stop working and you know it felt like we were halfway comfortable uh it, even during that time and even still there are times when it's just really tight for whatever reason because i i still do want to grow it and i i think sure that's another thing like if i think if i were really just satisfied and saying i should i should be clear if i were just satisfied and saying this is a lifestyle business i'm fortunate to have a job that i can do that is you know lets me have a, a relatively relaxed fun lifestyle doing things mm-hmm. i like writing about things i like um you know it would be way less stressful but trying to grow means hiring people and paying people and investing in all kinds of other ways to grow and and that leads to some crazy cash flow situations right right but but what you what i'm hearing you say is it, it did take a number of years and and you were starting your blog a while ago um and it took you three years to get to a certain critical mass. Now, in that journey, and actually your journey all the way up to now, I'm curious for you, um, what has surprised you in terms of the growth of your business? Because, I mean, I think many people think of things growing linearly and just working in a predictable way. But life, I don't know, to me, it doesn't seem to work that way. Uh, we can put in the work and then we always face surprises. So I'm curious for you, you know, what were either the oh crap moments, is this going to work? Or on the flip side, what have been just some pleasant, amazing experiences you've had in the course of, you know, running your business? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say one of the, the surprises is that <laughs> it's funny because I, I have two surprises that are total opposites and they both seem true to me. Uh, one huge surprise is that it worked at all. Like it just, I, I just, to imagine doing that sort of thing, it always kind of seemed like that's for other people. Like that's a success story. That's an internet marketing lie that you hear about that you can actually do this and quit your job. There's so many quit your job products that are out there on the internet. And I think people sense that they are mostly BS. No one can actually quit their job by, by doing something on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of amazed that it, that it actually did work <laughs> i mean that 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 was a just ongoing surprise um on the flip side i've i've been always i guess i'm an optimistic person so i have always thought that just around the corner it's going to get really easy mm. and that's that has never happened and I, I think perhaps like i said it's this it's this growth mindset wanting to to grow and grow and and you and i have talked about goals being sort of elusive right like yeah. if you just have a goal that says when i reach this goal then i will be happy uh once you get there it yeah. turns out you're not really happy because now there's another goal yeah. that appears that it will yeah the deferred life plan doesn't seem to work very well if we just push it off i mean goals are important but at the same time there's some uncertainty around them right yeah so so that's that was kind of an ongoing surprise it kept thinking that if i just reach this new level in business income or in the business reaching this many people uh you know, then all the problems will be taken care of, and then then it will be easy. And that that's been a surprise that has happened fifteen times. Where I, I thought for sure next month after we do this, then things are going to be really easy, and they weren't. Or or then I will be truly happy and truly fulfilled, and then I can just spend the days doing only the work that I like. And uh, you know, I haven't made that happen yet, and I don't know if I will. And I, maybe maybe that's something I need to I need to change my own thinking about. Mm. Mm. What have been some of the peak experiences? I'm guessing you've met some cool people, been to cool places, had exposure in. I mean, weren't you in uh, like a 
in the news, <laughs> like USA Today or something like that. I remember reading one of your articles. Uh, yeah, um, th- I mean, those moments are always really fun. I don't, I wasn't in USA Today, I don't think, but we've uh, the the cookbook that that we just put out this past year was named by Sports Illustrated as one of their top uh, seven oh, that, health and that must have been what I saw. Okay, yeah, yeah, and then with that, um, people people online people magazines online thing picked up that same story i don't even know how this all works but they picked up the same thing and they printed the exact same thing so then we were in oh, people the next you weren't week. one of the sexiest vegans no surprisingly, <laughs> no, surprisingly i didn't win that award this year I, I was snubbed uh but maybe next year uh so yeah lots of that stuff has happened that that of course has been neat but like that you know that, those are great examples of the moments when you think if i could get sports illustrated to name my book one of the top seven health and wellness books of the year then surely things will be easy after that but it's just like everything else like yeah the traffic spikes for a day or whatever and the and the sales spike and it's really fun and you see they see it being in the top 30 of amazon books and it's amazing and then it's just you know the next day it's kind of back to normal mm. so th- that that's another good example of that i think that tipping point thing is is really a uh, uh kind of a dangerous thing to be in pursuit of all the time because it's it i don't know that it's very hard to reach a tipping point um but you know those are just little ego stroking exciting things but they don't they don't really they're not substantial things um i've gotten the opportunity to go do some cool things recently i spoke in belgium and it was really nice to go do that i did a vegan italy trip where miyoko shinner who does the vegan cheeses that are now in whole foods and everywhere else oh yeah miyoko's um, yeah we love it yeah, she and I got to co-host an Italian trip, so we this like ten day Italy tour along the Amalfi Coast in this area of Italy where they tend to eat, you know, highly organic and highly plant based, and it was all vegan food and it was all just amazing. So you know, experiences like that are are really cool. Honestly, the very first one that comes to mind is through this work. Uh, I got to. Uh, I've always been a fan of Seth Godin, who who's the marketing author and just just such a force for good, I think, in this whole internet marketing world, and honestly, the whole business world. Um, so he's written to, Purple Cow and The Dip and, I don't know, permission t- marketing 20 books. And, <laughs> yeah, Tribes. I mean, just, yeah, tons <laughs> of books. And and they're all kind of, you know, yeah. very short and readable and very, very insightful. Um, but anyway, I got to go spend a week in his office just because, I, somehow I had gotten him to write a blurb for my first book. Uh, I think I had heard that he eats in a way that's mm-hmm. sort of close to to plant based, and you know just whatever. And he wrote a blurb, and then that kind of led me to to being able to have another sort of in with him. And and eventually, so I, and I won this little contest. Me and fifteen others got to go spend a week in his office, and something like that. I mean, that was just such the such mm-hmm. a cool thing for me. I've mentioned that I am so driven by that entrepreneur idea, and he has yeah. he has that idea of picking yourself, which he talks about. That's kind of his thing. Yeah. This idea that you don't need to wait for someone to tell you that you are good enough and that uh, you know you you are now worthy of of doing your thing that you want to now you have permission to do your thing. Ah. So that that has meant so much to me on a personal level because when I when I heard that like that's what started to say make me think hey I can actually I'm going to pick myself and I'm going to do this. So to get you know so the, the reward of that to get to go yeah. actually spend all that time with him. And wow, a week with Seth Godin. I mean. Are there a couple things that struck you in maybe things that you didn't know about how what he does or how he but works or there were a ton of things like that he he did magic tricks for us he's into magic <laughs> okay. and they were really good and to this day I don't know how he did them mm. uh he cooked us he cooked us vegan meals every day, which was amazing um 
his office is really cool, of course. Mm. Uh, but but honestly, it was what it was was that his his way of looking at the world, the lens that he sees opportunities and and you know potential problems through that his goal i think was for that to rub off on everyone mm-hmm. who was there just from being in, in the office for whatever 10 hours a day mm-hmm. for seven days and just having everyone talk to him about their situations and hearing the same themes come up uh mostly that's what it is is i i feel mm-hmm. like after that i could see the world kind of through not not his eyes but the, through the lens he's looking at at least mm-hmm. uh so that was that was probably the the most helpful thing. Hmm. So your business now from 2009, here we are in 2017 and you've built up quite a following. I mean, if you were to take all the members of your community and have them fill a stadium, I mean, you'd, you'd easily fill like, a, I don't know, Yankee stadium or more probably <laughs> in terms of your community. I mean, um, so that's just really interesting to see. What's it like? I mean, what is your week like? Do you have a normal week? Uh, what is it like to run a business like that? What do you spend your time on? Walk me through what that looks like. Sure. And it has changed a whole lot. Like for the first, I would say, five years, um, the only way that I could see this happening was as me being like the central figure and and the quote-unquote influencer. Uh and I've really gotten away from that in the past few years. I've kind of started to realize that that wasn't making me happy at all and probably wasn't a good fit for me. Like, I, I'm someone who gets bored with things. As, as maybe you have sensed, uh, I, I get into stuff and I get really obsessed about doing it in the best way I can. Mm-hmm. But that, that leads to burnout and that leads not to 20-year hobbies, right? I mean, I, I jump around from one thing to the next and I dive into something and something like, I mean, I've never done anything in my life as long as I've done No Meat Athlete as far as job or interest or hobby or anything so that uh you know that makes that that influencer model sort of hard because to be good i think as as an influencer or i don't i mean that word seems to imply all this just driving spending but i i mean more like you know being the the center of attention and someone who who people are paying attention to on social media and via your blog and via your podcast um I, you know, that requires, to be good at that, because there's so much noise now, it's just so crowded in all of those places, I mean, to stand out, like, you need to be good at packaging your content, and I think that can go a certain way, and that's that's what these these guides and ebooks and, and you know, quit your job overnight thing, like, they're, they're telling you how to package content and how to package ideas so that they spread, uh, or so that people, so that they resonate and stick, but underneath that has to be the person who is just obsessed with this topic and who just who just loves what they are doing and it's all they think about and like and I was that for for those 5 or 6 years when I was new at eating plant based and and so into running and getting into ultra running and running 50 and 100 mile races like and that was that was my life so it was so easy to translate that into writing but you know I I've go through and this is not surprising and I'm not embarrassed mm-hmm. about this at all that that much like I got to a point where I I had kind of done what I wanted to with running and I've gotten to the point with plant-based diet where I don't have any plans to change it but like Hmm. I don't feel like I need to evolve my eating anymore like we're kind of at a nice comfortable spot with with eating and I don't have to think about eating there's more to life than what we eat (laughs) exactly (laughs) believe it or not okay uh so you know so I just those aren't the things that are that are going through my head as I'm falling asleep at night. I'm thinking about all kinds of different different things. And sometimes I am thinking about those things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm thinking about business itself. Um, 
but you know, I I think the people the people person who can sustain that that kind of being the center of attention, you know, there's someone who who I don't think is quite like me, or or maybe that's why you see people start it and then kind of kind of burn mm. out mm. Um, because they are like me and they get into it and then and then they realize they can't keep doing that. So mm. anyway. I, I reached the point where I couldn't write another blog post about where you get your protein. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you can do that so many times, but, and surely there are new ways I could do that that would be helpful for the business, but I just can't get myself to, to go do that. I just, I just can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I still do the podcast once a week. Now and then I still write a blog article, mm-hmm. uh, and I'd like to get back to that. I hope I will find another season of life when I am, you know, just coming up with tons of new content ideas. But, so much of it now for me is yeah. I saw you wrote a, a article on goals in the new year, which people should people should check out. Yeah, right. And and I like and honestly, that's it's not a coincidence that that's the topic I wrote about mm-hmm. because that's a, that's the type of thing that I am genuinely interested in in these days. Uh, so like, you know, I can see myself getting back into writing maybe more personal development type topics, uh, just because right now that's more interesting to me than, than the, the, uh, ins and outs of, of how we should eat plant-based. Um, but anyway, the, the shift I would say, and since, since I kind of stopped wanting to be that central figure has been, how can I now run a business? And, and that means relying on other people and having other people, you know, transitioning from no meat athlete being Matt Frazier's personal blog and the, you know, Matt Frazier's voice in a blog how can we make make no meat athlete not be that? How can it be just a mm. play? Like I mean, I named it no meat athlete, and f- forever now, when I get introduced at talks or whatever, people say, "Here he is, the no meat athlete, Matt Frazier," huh. and that was never the point. Like yeah. the point was, let's make something called no meat athlete, where people who are athletes can whatever connect, yeah. get information, whatever. And it wasn't about me. I, I was not, and I'm still. I never was. Well, the, it seems the, like you built a community. It's not. What's interesting, I mean, I, I'm a member of your community too. It, it, it seems like you've you've really built a community. It's not just from you. It's it's people coming together, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, and right. there's more conversations right. around around things. I'm curious, given what you know now and the evolution you've had from documenting your own story, your journey as a runner, your transition to plant based diet to now you know, a business owner and interested in personal growth and that kind of stuff. If you can go back to your uh, former self and give yourself the Matt Frazier of 2010 or 2009 and give yourself some advice or maybe even 2008 earlier, uh, what would you say? Um, first, I think I would be encouraging and I would say, you know, as, as corny as it sounds, like, you're not wrong for thinking big, because uh, that was that was a huge thing. It was just like I had I had a lot of nights in those early years where like it was starting to become a real thing. I would have nights where I'd wake up at two a.m. and like somehow when all the all the facade and everything was kind of down, all the stories I had in my mind about how this was a real business when they had all you know gone away because I was, I had just woken up and it was sort of like here's reality. I would I would have these moments like what am I doing? Like, how, like, how am I possibly going to do this? So what I would do is I would go back and say, like, it's going to be okay. You're, you're right. The fact that this is giving you energy and that you are that into this, um, you know, you, you can rest assured that you will find a way to make that work. Mm. So that's one of them. Um, I think, I think sooner than I did, I would advise myself to sooner than I did kind of embrace 
the uncertainty and understand that people are going to dislike what you do. If, mm-hmm. if you are doing something that matters at all, that makes mm-hmm. a difference, uh, then pretty much by definition, people there are going to be people who, who strongly dislike it. And if there so are... You, did you face that? Did you get more than just the random internet trolls commenting? No, I wouldn't. Not more than the random internet okay. trolls, but but those random internet trolls for me, like I don't know. I feel like I I made a lot of decisions in the first twenty five years of my life that were designed to like avoid a, a random confrontation or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I really just shied away from that, and I still shy away from those sort of things. I don't I don't like confrontation. Uh, I don't get in arguments and fights about diet or anything else. So when I would write a blog post. You know, the first time there was a negative comment, I don't know when it was, but maybe maybe three or four weeks into writing the blog, when someone wrote something really negative, like, that ruined my week. And it made it hard to write the next post without every line I wrote. I wanted to, like, put some little addendum onto it that made sure I covered all the bases so that nobody could possibly find something wrong with this. And it turns out that's a really, really boring way to write. And maybe it's a cliche, but they say if, if you're trying to please everyone, then you're going to please nobody. Mm. So that's the advice I would give myself is, is like, understand that, that if you were, I mean, really you should take not, not if you're just getting tons and tons of negativity and that's all you're getting, that's a sign that something's probably wrong. Mm-hmm. But nowadays I, as much as it still hurts me to see negativity and I try to kind of shield myself from a lot of it and just sort of like one of the luxuries of having people who, who work for the business is that I can have someone say like, I don't have to see a lot of negative mm-hmm. comments anymore. I can have yeah. someone distill the meaning of it so that I can hopefully adjust based on what it is without me actually having to attach a face and a name to this person, because that's where a lot of that pain comes in. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, nowadays I, I really take one star reviews and negative comments as a sign that I'm doing something right. Because right. if you're not, if you're not getting any of those, <laughs> Then you're doing boring stuff. I mean, it's really well. You're making people feel something, right? And which is, I think, the point of any creative work, (laughs) right? Exactly. Make people feel something. So, so those are two interesting things. You know that things are going to work out, and also this idea of confrontation and and looking at the feedback, but not letting it, you know, right steer you off course. Is there anything you wish you would have known? even from a business perspective, because I know you're, you're into the science of building an online business and how it works in the mechanics. Is there anything you know now that you wish you knew earlier? Yeah, there absolutely are. Uh, I've mentioned one of them already. That was the, the idea that there's not really a tipping point yep. that, you're not, that you're going after. I mean, yep. just realize that you're not, I don't know. I mean, maybe you might be the exception that finds that, but operate as if you're not. And I think I think then you will. Yeah, Matt, my next blog point. post is actually my tipping point, so I'm I'm banking on oh, it. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Mm. Um, honestly, like to, I guess to get a little bit more technical mm. or detailed, um, two things that I think I did wrong for a long time in the business itself were I didn't I didn't know that I should focus on one thing. To me, to me, I like when I made one product and it worked. The answer was, and this did allow me to go full time, but it was when I made a marathon program that that worked and brought in I don't know five figures, and that when I launched it, low five figures, but five figures, and that was a that was a big moment for me. Um, the immediate answer for me was, well, I should make a half marathon version of that, and not not to cheat anybody, but to say like, hey, this would apply almost as well to a half marathon. I can make some minor adjustments and make a new product. 
And that kind of worked. And then from there, we said, well, let's do a triathlon version of that. And then people wanted t-shirts, so we got into that. And we, the affiliate thing was working, and we got into that. So like, what I ended up doing was having 15 different revenue streams. Mm. None of them, though, like really you know, strong enough to, to power a business without the help of all the others. And I, I really don't think that's the best way to do things. Granted, I guess it diversifies you, which is nice. But... I really think what you need to do is is find find the one thing. Like like I said, we've kind of alluded to this a few times. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of noise out there, and if you find something that works, that actually works, I think you should find a way to get it to more people and do more with it. It takes a lot of work to to make a new product, mm-hmm. and it and it it when you do that, it probably eats into the sales of your first yeah. one. So I think if I could go back, I would I'd make products at half the rate that I did. I see. And focus on making, you know, finding customers for them, finding, getting them to the right people, hmm. uh, and coming up with every possible way I could to to sell them in a in a new way or you know to new group of people. So that's one. The other one, and this is such an I think an easy thing to do is focus on recurring revenue. Hmm. Um, if you can get a customer who is sort of an automatic customer or where the default is that they stay a customer unless they take an action and you don't you don't make it hard for them to take an action yeah. of course you're not trying to trick anyone or take anyone's money um but if you can just get someone to enter a monthly thing a monthly program with you where it's a recurring revenue and they can easily cancel mm-hmm. it anytime it's just so much more reliable and steady than you know once that first ebook sold and i had a bunch of people who had paid whatever 18 or 21 dollars for an ebook right. Uh, three months down the road, it was like, okay, well, we're out of money again, so what are yeah. we going to do now? And if if from the beginning, I know it's hard because to build a product at all is is a difficult mm-hmm. thing. But if you can if you can find a way to be offering some sort of recurring revenue, yeah. you can at least start to build stability. Yeah. And and I think stability in a growing business is just so so important. It it will prevent you from having to take on debt when you're not able to to you know pay the payroll this month and. Just it'll just start to let you plan things the way a, a real business should be planned, and that's that's kind of the maybe the overarching not not the overarching failure, but the thing that I have done wrong that I wish I could go back and change is I wish I could go back and let myself know that this um, that this would become what it has mm. that it, that it would become something that is way way bigger than a little thing that allows me to not have a boss because when i started it that was kind of the that was the hope that was all the hope was it was like i'm going to find a way that that gets me out of the working world and what it has become is a work that i really love doing and that i want Mm. to grow and i want to you know that's kind of my life's work it has become that at least for this this decade or two of my life it's it's my life's work so there are so many decisions like you know not taking on debt or creating recurring revenue or putting accounting practices in place from the early days that are mm-hmm. that are right uh, just so many different processes i mean for the first seven years of this business i just layered like yeah. one non-working thing on top of another <laughs> on top of another just like <laughs> covered up problems yeah. with with new little quick fixes that i thought and because I, there was always that thought that like a couple months from now this will all be easy and then i will mm. have time to go back and get this all worked out but what i would say is get it get it straight from the mm. beginning like when you have those decisions do it right the first time yeah. and um you know just treat it treat it like a real business like it deserves to be mm. you, even if at first your vision for it is just uh this is going to be my little my little side hustle thing. you know what i hear in your sharing is you, you had a sense of a goal and it took you a few years 
but where you ended up was way beyond your expectations, and that's pretty neat. The other thing in the recurring recurring revenue, recurring value, ongoing value point you're making is, you know, I've, I've experienced a similar thing in, in terms of how I coach. When I work with people over longer periods of time, you can just go deeper. When you work, mm-hmm. you know, my guess is people who are part of your community, you know, you're able to offer deeper content or have different level of conversation with them than someone who just buys a training plan. Yeah, um, absolutely. And is- that's, and that is a huge thing. Cause I remember when I would have people would buy that ebook and I would then want to update it. Yeah. I didn't really have any good way to do that short of updating the whole PDF and then emailing our list. And I wasn't in those early days, I wasn't even set up to, to email our whole list very well or know who had bought it. <laughs> so yeah, mm-hmm. to have an ongoing relationship, you know, that's, that's yeah. where you're going to help people to actually make change the most, which is, which is what you want. Yeah. Well, what's on the horizon for you looking forward? Well, Robbie, you have taught me uh, to sort of not, not be too married to anything in the future. So that's something I'm mm. working very hard on, uh, which is just, just to kind of relax and sort yeah. of see what happens. Yeah. Um, a lot of new opportunities have opened up in this past year. The biggest of which is that I started uh, another company that makes a supplement, which we call Complement, because mm-hmm. the idea is that it's not not like a complete, you know, overdose of all these things like yeah. a typical multivitamin is, but just it's just a few things that vegans yeah. need. I've been a customer. It tastes really good. Uh, my wife and I <laughs> both, good. we just shoot it. Uh, we just spray it in before dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what <laughs> it, I It basically, doing. for people who are listening, it, it's got all the stuff you need on a plant-based diet, what, B12, D, DHA, EPA, uh, yep. right? and that's it. There's nothing a, else. Uh, B12, yeah, B12. Um, yeah. And you just spray it once a day. Has like a cherry berry kind of flavor, and that's it. Uh, yeah, all vegan. Exactly. Yeah. So you know that 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 of course was a huge new endeavor for me. Like because up until now, I mean, no meat athlete selling t-shirts and eBooks and information, very very different from starting a company that a, a supplement company. Mm. Um, and and it's been a fun way to grow. So I don't know. I, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about uh, taking. As I mentioned, like my interest doesn't really lie right now in in like really thinking about the newest hack for making a plant based diet mm. work in your life. I like that; it's fun. It yields a good blog post or podcast episode now and then, but I don't think that's where I can like add the most value to the world anymore. Uh, so I I think I've learned quite a bit about this, like the stuff we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you create something that matters? And I really want to kind of apply that to help other plant based businesses, mm-hmm. and uh, you know just just kind of use as i've made so many great relationships in this and now nine years in this space it's, it's a very small world this plant-based space and uh i'm just kind of looking forward to to being a connector and and kind of seeing how i can help other people do stuff so there's that there's the i have a, a first book before the cookbook came out and uh that's kind of due for a like a, a refresh i think so we'll probably do a, a redo of that and a re-release of that um and I would love to get our, we have these running groups. One of the mm. great things that came out of that Seth Godin week was that he helped me. I kind of, he, he always said uh, the definition of a tribe or basically that it requires that the members of the tribe are, are connected to each other. That They talk to each other. They don't just talk to the leader and hear from the leader. They are connected to each other. And that, when I went to his office in New York, it was like, that was what was missing for me. I wanted to have a tribe and I wanted people to be connected and not have to have me in the room or have the conversation involve me and just, you know, let this thing spread on its own. So we created all these running groups around the country and the world. And we have some in Australia that are great. And there are some in crazy places like Oklahoma city where you just would not expect that 
to to happen. There's one in Denver that was quite good for mm-hmm. a while. Um, and they, in the past two years, unfortunately, I've kind of like, I just haven't given those the attention that they mm-hmm. deserve because they are, are my favorite part of this whole business. Um, and I know they can work. I know they do work. So I'd, I'd love to get back to, to those and, and really helping those move along because uh, they're, they're just a really fun thing. So I would love to get back to that just for, for personal reasons, not because it really helps the business directly yeah. at all. Yeah, well, but because it's fun. <laughs> well, it's okay to have fun too. That's right. <laughs> if that's fun for you, that's awesome. You know, uh, looking forward to whatever comes on the horizon for you, whether it's business or uh, more business-oriented training or the running groups. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your story and your journey with, with me and with everyone. Um, absolutely people can yeah, I mean, I, connect with you nomeatathlete.com and I'll include all the various links um, yeah that's right and I'm at nomeatathlete on mm-hmm. Twitter um, yeah thank you for having me Robbie I think I think this is wonderful what you're doing with this podcast and the the messages you are putting out into the world so uh, very very grateful to be a part of it and uh, to, to be a listener of it great have a great day alright thanks if you're enjoying the podcast please rate review And also share the episode with your friends. You can get more information about everything we talk about on my website. Just go to raviraman.com forward slash podcast and you'll see links to all the things we've talked about as well as a full archive of all episodes and the show notes. I really appreciate your listening. Have a great day.